For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Gray squirrels in the UK have been found mating with the country's famous oak trees. Sadly, and obviously, English sensibilities will not tolerate the proliferation of their offspring. These part plant, part mammal, acorn-loving squokes. Thusly, they are rolling out contraceptives in the form of squirrel feed to reduce the squirrel tree coitus to reasonable levels. This contraceptive plan was, of course, plan B. Plan A would have been to eat them. Gray squirrels are non-native, and to be clear, they are not mating successfully with the local flora. I just like to tie the contraceptive approach, no matter the actors involved, with that old joke. Because, you see, the squirrels are not copulating the trees to death, your majesty. They're eating them. We have to hide those feelings, keep them to ourselves. The gray squirrel population has boomed to an estimated 3 million animals since their introduction in 2019, while the native red squirrel population has dwindled to some 300,000 animals. Government spending on gray squirrels is estimated at an astonishing 1.8 billion pounds per year, so the plan is to develop a species-specific delivery system which would only allow gray squirrels to eat a hazelnut paste laced with an oral contraceptive. If anyone has attempted to prevent a squirrel from eating out of a bird feeder, yes, this sounds like money well spent. Red squirrels will not enter a squirrel feeder when the sign says grays only. I mean, everyone knows that. Whatever, I do what I want. Periodic culling is part of the program, and for you entrepreneurial squirrel shooters, squirrel mitigation costs are estimated at 58 pounds per hectare. 
This week, we've got the Bad Bill Roundup, ducks, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. We're just about to get to serious chainsaw season here in Montana, and I've already got a couple of jobs lined up on the felling, bucking, and stacking front. Cheaper than CrossFit, and much more outdoorsy. I get to wear my suspenders. I'm just back from another trip to the Sacramento Valley, where I spent a few days with my good friend Sean Doherty, a local rice farmer, as well as Scott Feist, owner-operator of Feisty Fish Guide Service. We filmed this adventure, and you will be able to see it one of these days, I promise. Couple quick takeaways. The wild-ass Sacramento River used to flood and stay flooded throughout much of the valley for much of the year. These floodplains are where the good farm ground is, and it is where the good duck hunting is. If you are staying true to the idea of a flood, it's wild water going where it wants to go. Nowadays, the water is pretty much allowed to go places, so you could call it tamed. Massive series of elevated roads, weirs, diversions, dikes, account for overflow, inflow, backflow, and probably flows I haven't thought of. This is called reclamation. My hunting took place in Reclamation District 108. This area has been on the waterfowl map since long before Europeans or European descendants ever hit the continent. Webbed and webless migratory birds were here in the billions, in part because of the giant wetland created by the floodwaters backing up against the delta on their way to the ocean. Think of the words inland sea. That big. The destruction of this marsh and inland sea through the reclamation of the area in conjunction with market hunting, supplying restaurants in San Francisco, feather markets for fancy hats, migratory birds took a serious hit. We currently see over a billion birds come through the Sacramento Valley. The Audubon Society estimates three to five times that many birds came through pre-European settlement. Flooded rice fields are now the closest thing to a marsh in this part of the Sacramento Valley, and the waterfowl, webbed or webless, take to them very well. Good place to hunt. Big fat birds, teal, widgeon, and pintail were the most plentiful. Occasional small flights of mallards, canvasbacks, gadwall, bluebill, and shoveler. Ibis, cranes, swans, snow and speckled-bellied geese, kingfishers, all out enjoying these surrogate marshes. We shot fat birds that were small, fat birds that were big, and the only troubling part of this was no snort. Couldn't bring her with. Would have been painful at moments, having a bunch of birds flying around our heads while we watched a puppy spin circles on diving birds out there in the rice field, but, ah, would have been good practice for her. Next season, let me just say I'm looking forward to it. I have lots more to tell you about and show you in regards to the Sacramento Valley, the water situation, waterfowl, and salmon, but we're moving on. Our newly elected public officials are back to work. Along with good progress on a range of issues, a whole slew of bad legislation has recently been introduced in state houses across the country. It's time here on Cal's Week in Review for the Crappy Bill Roundup. First up, From Connecticut, Rep. David Michel has introduced proposed bill number 5031, 
which would prohibit the sale, trade, and distribution of new animal fur. I do not doubt Representative Michel's sincere concern for animals and the environment. He has passed some good legislation in Connecticut as well, but trapping will happen no matter what in Connecticut. Trapping is used all the time to control problem animals and to protect vulnerable species. So by outlawing the sale, trade, and distribution of fur, you just guarantee that the fur from those animals goes to waste. Non-nuisance trapping is dictated primarily by the fur market and secondarily by food, meaning if furs are not paying well, and in most categories they are not, people are not trapping anyway. Imposing a restriction on, quote, new fur may actually increase trapping as demand creeps up on supply, legal or not. Outside of this, if you're running a legal respectful trapping line, meaning up before dawn checking your traps daily and making sure they are set to target only those animals legal to trap for food, but you don't want to just drop hides in a dumpster because it's wasteful, you'd be in a real tough spot. Therefore, call. 860-240-0100 for the Connecticut State Legislature and urge those reps to vote against this one. Staying on trapping, jumping over to New Mexico, the land of enchantment. State Senator Roberto Gonzalez has introduced Senate Bill 32, which would ban all forms of trapping on public land. This includes live cage traps. You heard that right. All trapping of any sort on approximately 22 million acres of New Mexico public land. That means no ability to protect livestock and other vulnerable species through trapping. Wildlife biologists lose a critical tool for balancing populations and doing research in an ecosystem. No revenue for wildlife conservation from sales of licenses and tags. This one has me concerned. Email S-C-O-N-C at nmlegis.gov and express your opposition to SB 32. Before we move on, I will quickly wrap up the anti-trapping side of things. Everything people do has a downside, a negative. In trapping, unseasoned or flat-out lazy, inconsiderate individuals will set traps too close to hiking trails and roads where these traps can have consequences for pets. Additionally, as reported here, Unused, skinned carcasses dumped sometimes intentionally in plain sight do nothing to promote responsible trapping or responsible wildlife management. Trappers can be their own worst enemy, but trapping in and of itself, whether you like the idea or not, if it's done properly, it is not different from responsible hunting and certainly not different than responsible fishing. Next, South Dakota. Governor Kristi Noem has introduced House Bill 1140, legislation that would prevent conservation officers from entering private land to check licenses or take a gander in the cooler to make sure possession limits were being adhered to. To explain this a little further, we're going to take a quick trip to the Fourth Amendment, which governs search and seizure. Now, if members of law enforcement want to enter your home, the Fourth Amendment makes it very hard for them to do that, rightfully so. But under something called the Open Fields Doctrine, officers are much freer to come onto private property that is away from dwellings. Part of the idea here is that when wildlife is on someone's land, it still belongs to all of us. And so, we are justified in protecting it there. 
if South Dakota passes HB 1140, it has the probable implication of making enforcement of hunting and fishing laws on private land impossible. And that is potentially very bad for our communal wildlife that doesn't know if it's on private or public. Private property is sacred in America, but so is our wildlife. If someone walking a piece of public access for pheasants in South Dakota can be approached most typically at the truck by a wildlife officer, so should a person on private land. In both cases, the hunter is the subject, not the game, and definitely not the land under their feet. So, keep that dialing finger warm and punch in 605-773-3251 and call the South Dakota legislature to let them know your position on HB 1140. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Circling back home to Montana. And this one is a work in progress, State Bill 143, which would, in its current form, 
make available 60% of non-resident tags associated with deer and elk combo licenses and deer combination licenses and individual deer for outfitter preference. Simply put, if you commit to hunting with an outfitter and apply with that outfitter's number in the proposed early draw, you will be guaranteed a non-resident tag. That is, if you make it within that 60% of the non-resident tags. If, let's say, non-residents use 40% of that non-resident tag number, then the remainder will go back into the regular non-resident draw. This bill, SB 143, is very similar to a bill that was shot down in 2010 by Citizens Initiative, SB 161. Aside from the fact that many residents feel we have already dealt with this bill, a few other points have been brought up. Mainly, opportunity for those not willing to hunt with an outfitter. Outfitter-sponsored tags will be $200 more expensive. Is this just favoring the wealthy? And what will happen to draw odds? And what happens with the $200 license fee? After a very good talk with Mac Menard, the head of Montana Outfitters and Guides Association, the basis is this. According to an ongoing economic survey out of the University of Montana in regards to tourism, it has been determined that outfitted clientele outspend non-outfitted clientele in the state of Montana perhaps by as much as 5 to 1. If we can simultaneously help our independent outfitting businesses by assuring the clientele they are already serving that they will be able to hunt with them next year, and remember this part, I'll get back to it, this will allow those small businesses, the outfitters, to forecast and plan their businesses in a much more reliable manner, while also taking care of the people who are contributing the most to the economy of Montana. So then, why from an economic health perspective would we not do that? Additionally, if historical use stays the same, it will have no effect on draw odds and no effect on resident hunters. On top of this, the additional money raised by the program will go to public access. That is paraphrased, folks, but, you know, it's a sound argument. And here's a disclaimer, and I'm repeating this. This bill will be amended, and we'll pick it back up in the amended form, so don't get wound around the axle quite yet. This is going to change quite a bit, or it should anyway. So, number one, yes, this does favor the hunter willing to spend more, but it is a choice you can make and you do not have to play. In theory, not a single non-resident could apply for these tags and everything would stay the exact same. Draw odds. If the numbers stay the same, the historical amount of people that apply for non-resident tags stay the same, then the same amount of people applying for non-resident tags will get them. However, if there is an increase in demand and a portion of that increase goes to outfitter tags, then the remainder will be competing for fewer tags in the general draw. Your non-resident unguided odds will be less. The 60% number, the amount outfitters would be able to swing in the early draw, is a placeholder, and we expect to see that number go down somewhere closer to 40%, which again, according to Mac Menard, is a number closer to what the outfitting industry is currently serving. The public access component, and to be clear with everybody, this is something that I do not see set up to succeed. State Bill 143 states that in order for a landowner to be eligible for funds to allow access to public ground, like public ground, you know, like stuff that we should be able to hunt and fish and camp on and watch birds and catch bugs and whatnot, 
but are blocked by private land, like a landlocked situation of which we have a lot of in Montana, that landowner also needs to have the lease to that public land or that public land needs to be free of leases. And what bugs me here is all it says is lease. So it's very ill-defined. So it could be a mineral lease, a grazing lease, could be part of an outfitter's concession. We do not know. Max payment for the program, the most a landowner can get paid by the state is $15,000 a year. I do not believe this portion of the bill is set up to succeed. The state dollar will not be able to compete with the dollars a landowner who has access to landlocked public land and the lease on that land already gets. Meaning prime deer and elk ground in Montana is going for more than what the state's going to be willing to pay. If you have an opinion, maybe a list of receipts from your last do-it-yourself adventure, you need to call or write in to jason.ellsworth, E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H, at mtleg.gov, jason.ellsworth at montanaleg.gov. His number is 406-360-0009. Lastly, maybe the highest profile of the bunch, the proposed ban on black bear hunting in California. State Bill 252, the so-called Bear Protection Act, was introduced by State Senator Scott Weiner and would make it illegal to kill a black bear unless you have a depredation permit to protect property or livestock. A ton of listeners wrote into us about this one. Thank you for your emails. Sam Lundgren has an excellent article over on the Meat Eater website laying out the details. Additionally, our resident bear expert, Clay Newcomb, also has plenty of insight here. Take a look at his Instagram for more. We here at the Week in Review could run down some additional downsides to this bill, including the fact that it would have led to the waste of beautiful bear meat and hides, but happily we don't have to. Because as of February 2nd, State Senator Weiner withdrew SB 252 after intense outcry from constituents in and outside the state. This is the perfect way to end our crappy bill roundup, the death of a crappy bill when we all make noise. All of the proposed laws I just described could end just this way. It is up to us, up to you, driving to work or making lunch or scrubbing the grout in the shower to make your voice heard when elected officials do something you don't like. This is how legislators understand their constituents. It's a give and take, and they will listen to people from all across the country. After all, they want us to travel to their state to spend money, to go home and tell people how great it was and that they should go too. And so, even though trapping in Connecticut or making sure a warden can check licenses in South Dakota may not strike at the heart of the way you hunt in Michigan or Florida or Nevada, but make those calls anyway. Protect our rights everywhere. If badge legislation passes in one place, anti-hunting advocates can take note and propose similar bills elsewhere. If you need a handy tool to keep track of some of this legislation, check out the Sportsman's Alliance sportsmansalliance.org forward slash government affairs. They do a nice little roundup of what you need to keep track of. Although we should feel very proud of the North American model of conservation, we shouldn't get too cocky. We were not the first to come up with the idea of conservation laws. Not by a long shot. In fact, the Incas of South America beat us to it by about 600 years. At its peak in the 15th century, the Incan Empire covered more than 300,000 square miles and had as many as 12 million people. 
key to feeding that many mouths was Incan farming technology, which was the most sophisticated in the world at the time. Not only had the Incas mastered irrigation and terracing techniques, they also discovered an extremely effective fertilizer, bird poop. Although people all over the world had long used manure to fertilize their fields, the Incas were the first to use seabird droppings, known as guano, which is much, much higher in nitrogen than other kinds of manure. And nitrogen is what makes crops grow. Using bird poop, the Incas were able to cultivate the Atacama Desert, a place so dry that NASA now goes there to test out equipment they're going to use on Mars. The three most important poop producers for the Inca were the guano cormorant, the Peruvian pelican, and the Peruvian booby. That's right. None of these look particularly distinctive. They're all medium-sized birds with black and white plumage, though the Peruvian pelican has a distinctive multicolored beak and throat pouch, kind of like an old aunt. But despite the fact that they're not going to win any beauty contests, the Incas were not messing around when it came to protecting these birds in their habitat. During mating season, the Inca forbade anyone from setting foot on the islands these birds lived on. Stealing their eggs was harshly punished. And, if you were caught killing one of these birds anywhere at any time, or even if you disturbed one of them on the nest, the penalty was death. Now, I'm not saying I want to adopt the Incan penal code, but these people were not messing around when it came to protecting wildlife. And, you know, you have to admire that. These three species were so important to Inca expansion that the native range of these birds almost exactly overlaps with the known boundaries of the Incan Empire. It's hard to know whether the birds expanded into a range that the Incas protected for them, or if the Incas could only expand as far as they could carry the guano to fertilize their fields. Either way, you can understand why someone threatening this resource could end up in deep doo-doo. Or boo-boo, I guess. Huh? Yeah, gotta try. Killing people over bird droppings might seem extreme, but the Incas were far from the only people to go so far. Once Europeans learned about guano from the Inca, they started extracting it from those same South American islands for use on their fields back home. And that allowed their agricultural output to explode, and so they used military force to seize and protect those islands and the guano on them. And our government got in on that game as well. In fact, there is still an active statute in United States federal law called the Guano Islands Act, which allows the U.S. to take possession of any unclaimed island anywhere in the world if it has guano deposits on it. Which means if you're living in one of those places where the birds cover all your cars with poop, you should clean it off. The government could seize it. Don't start a conspiracy theory, okay? Did you ever look at a dollar bill, man? There's some spooky stuff going on on a dollar bill, man. Yeah. I mean, and it's green, too. Chemical fertilizers came along in the 20th century and replaced bird poop in the farmer's toolkit. But now, guano is back in demand with the rise of organic agriculture. So who knows? In a few years, maybe vegan asparagus farmers will be urging the military to annex islands and trying to prevent people from visiting under penalty of death. Stranger things have happened. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell some friends, share the wealth, and I'll talk to you next week.
outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access to your populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.